guys, welcome to another episode of Mickey Mike's Up. On today's episode, I have the incredible Kaya McCullough on here, and we are going to be talking about all the amazing things she does. That is pretty much the entire episode, just because her and I had a lot to talk about, and so I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. And then next week, I will be back with a college-centered episode. I think I'm going to have some of my friends on, and we're going to talk about sorority recruitment and what sorority life has been like so far. So make sure to keep your ears open for that. With that being said, thanks for listening. All right, so I have a super cool guest with me right now, and so want to introduce yourself real quick. Hi, everybody. My name is Kaya McCullough, and I am so excited to be here today. So for those of you who don't know Kaya, she's like the coolest ever, and so I'm really glad that she's here, but we're going to just get into some soccer questions, some not soccer questions, just all the things, and so I always kind of like to start off with like, where did your love of soccer come from and why did you start playing? All that kind of fun stuff. Uh, Yeah, I started playing when I was five years old, which is a long time ago now that I'm 23. So like 18 years ago, I guess. Um, I started playing AYSO locally. I grew up in Orange County, California and Obviously, Southern California has a really rich soccer culture. I just didn't really know that at the time. Um, it was just something I like to do. I, I was really fast. I like to run. I am very, very competitive. My, my parents were both college athletes at UCLA, and my whole family was really athletes. So it wasn't really a question of like whether or not I was going to play sports. It was more what sport I was going to play. And as soon as I tried soccer I sort of fell in love with it I really didn't try any other sports I feel like a lot of people tried basketball yeah they, I, I did dance before soccer and I wasn't very good at it uh, <laughs> a little bit of gymnastics wasn't very good at it but once I I got soccer I loved it and I never looked back um I played AYSO for a couple more years and then when I was like 10 or 11 I think I made the move to club and that's when it sort of started getting more serious for me and I I realized I I might have something special in the sport and from there it sort of just snowballed um just kept moving up in club got called up into like ODP and then uh you know national team staff started getting recruited um so yeah I, I mean the love was planted when I was five years old and then it just kept growing and growing as it got more serious and as I dedicated a lot more time to it yeah I I always I feel like I say this all the time but I like wish that I played a sport when I was younger I like I've I mean I've danced like my entire life but like I've never done like a team sport part of me is always like I feel like I want that aspect but by high by the time I got to high school it's like it's too late to do that but it's like it literally isn't that some people try new things but I never did but so it is what it is yeah no I I look back and I like I the other the other sport that I did um I actually did track in high school I was pretty good at it actually um which I liked I liked how it was sort of individual just having from soccer from being a team sport where it's so dependent on like the unit I liked sort of having that level of control over track which was nice but then I also liked how um my track team at my high school was just like a family so it was it was cool but yeah I definitely value team sports a lot I think I learned a lot about 
sharing and other stuff just because I was an only child so I I feel like I got a lot of lessons that I would have gotten at home (laughs) through soccer um so yeah for sure even with dance like I'm dancing in a room with 12 13 other people but you're still doing your own thing until you have to like learn the whole dance for the thing and so there was like a little bit of having to work with each other but it wasn't like we had to like pass balls and figure stuff out that way it was more like okay we all have to be doing the moves at the same time no I get it I totally get it (laughs) so obviously you did a lot of different team stuff soccer all the things I honestly all the team lingo makes no sense to me when I'm doing recruiting stuff and I'm putting location in so and so plays for this thing and I'm like what do these abbreviations mean it makes no sense to me but do you have a favorite like soccer memory from growing up? Uh, I know. I I feel like I don't have super specific ones. Um, like actually playing soccer, probably from growing up, winning a national championship with my Olympic development team was really cool. We used to um, go to Arizona and we would like all of Cal South would stay in the same hotel. So it was like really fun. And we would do like talent show competitions and stuff, but actually winning a little national championship when um, I was younger was cool um, through that program. Off the field, uh, there's so many, like just through soccer, I've met my lifelong friends. um, And so it seems like my, all my best memories of life, or a lot of them, are intertwined with soccer somehow, whether that's on a soccer trip or um, little after-game parties that we would have or the trips that I would take with the people I met from soccer. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of my, a lot of my best, best memories, I think, from soccer came when I was a little bit older and I could appreciate the competitive nature of the sport a bit more and... Um, I really had the best time of my life at UCLA playing soccer. So I'd say like overall, those are some of the coolest memories that I have. Yeah. When I was younger, yeah, probably doing Olympic development program and like winning a national championship. I think we won two years in a row, which was cool. So that was kind of my next question was going to be, what was your favorite memory at UCLA? (laughs) Oh, if Uh, you can pick one. um, Yeah, probably playing the national championship against Stanford. Um, It was a really, really, really fun match. Um, Anybody who saw that match probably was like, whoa, this is professional level soccer happening. Um, We went down 2-0 at half and we sort of were just like, fuck, like, what do we do? Um, And we sort of like came out there and just tied it back up and then Jay ended up scoring like a banger um but that's probably one of my best one and then also uh scoring against SC that's the only goal I ever scored in my college career and it was extra street that it was against SC and it was in in front of the biggest fan in college soccer history for women's soccer and then probably beating SC in overtime uh a double overtime I think uh or no regular overtime when we were at uh the bank stadium or was it the bank or it was at stub hub i think the the u the usc the ucla rivalry is like one of the biggest in college sports so whenever we would play sc it sort of was a bloodbath uh, it was really testy games but uh 
yeah, no, we would call it was like rivalry night. And so I, I never lost SC. I always beat SC every year that we play them. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are probably all my favorite memories from UCLA. So you have a podcast um, called Unfiltered. And so I've listened to it, but I don't, for those people who are listening to this that haven't listened to yours, what is it about? What do you share through it? Like kind of what, it, what made you start that? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, so Unfiltered is my little love child that I created last year with the help of Two Cents Sports. Um, really awesome. Go give them a follow if you're listening. Um, but Unfiltered is sort of my, my, I really created it as a way to sort of put my unfiltered thoughts about what I was going through in 2020 and 2021. I obviously had a very, very traumatic year as did a lot of people in 2020. And I think Unfiltered was sort of a way for me to put my thoughts down, not on paper, uh, but, you know, just kind of put them out so I could listen to them back and, you know, have other people look into my perspective. Um, I've always hated journaling. So I, I thought it would be a really good way for me to sort of process a lot of the, the trauma that I was healing from and examine, you know, a lot of the factors that had contributed to my worldview and my way of thinking. So, I mean, obviously I like got a really big social following last year and the year before. And I think it was just a way for me to better explain where I was coming from to people who might not have known me on a personal level. Um, Because I get that some of my thinking is very radical, and while a lot of people will agree, it is nice to be able to, I think, formulate how I'm getting to those perspectives. So I brought on people from my life, my mom, my family, my friends. Um, It was sort of a short season um, to sort of give a background into how I think. And then I also (laughs) did a, a, like, a intermission drop after everything came out with that Washington Post article that I was in, that I was featured in. Uh, and I wanted to sort of tell my story from my perspective. I, while I think Molly did an amazing job and I am so thankful that she did all the work that she did, it was also really nice to have my story told from my own perspective and in, in my own words. Um, so yeah, that's unfiltered and season two is going to be coming out eventually this year um, and it's going to be a more focused on exploring some of the topics that I've learned a lot about this year. I feel like I have definitely had a crash course in a lot of different areas, whether that's racial justice, whether that's um, abuse in sports, whether that's labor organizing. So I definitely want to explore those topics with some of the people who I respect dearly in the sports industry and beyond. So yeah, that's unfiltered. I think that it, I totally like relate with the hating journaling thing. People are always like, just write things down. And I'm like, it's so much easier to like, think about what I want and just talk than to like write things down. And so I, I don't know. I, and I feel like I'm always learning from you every time you tweet something or like, make a thread or something. I feel like I'm always constantly learning. And so I am very excited for season two because Ooh. you always have such good, th- you, I feel like you word things like so well, like, and I just like, I'm like, yes, exactly. That's what people should do. 
Oh, I appreciate that. No, yeah, I the journaling thing, I've always been, like, I love to journal, just not about my feelings mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like, I love making habit trackers. I love writing stuff down, but just yeah. not my feelings. And I've hated it since I was a child. I think it's because my mom was a big journaler, and I just sort of hated seeing all her journals. Um, it was really weird. But, yeah, speaking things into existence is more my vibe and more how I operate. And so... It's, it's been very cathartic to be able to put truth to power in my words um, through my own perspective. No, I think it's so awesome. And if everybody listening hasn't listened to Unfiltered, you better go do that after this. <laughs> no problem. Um, just a little bit of pressure. <laughs> so you are, you obviously do a lot and you do a lot of amazing things. And so one of the other things that you do and you started was the anti-racist soccer club. I mean, I feel like, I feel like the name is like pretty self-explanatory, but for those who don't know, can you kind of explain what that is and how people can support it and the mission that you guys are trying to spread? Yeah, I would hope that the name is a little bit (laughs) self-explanatory, but basically what anti-racist soccer club is or ARSC as I like to call it in shorthand, um we are basically trying to build a coalition of organizations and individuals in the soccer space who are committed to anti-racism work and we do that mainly through the framework of the 10-point plan that we created um got a lot of consultation with people in the soccer space and academics and those who work in the anti-racism space and we put together a 10-point plan that we think encapsulates 10 things that you can do uh, sort of immediately to make your organization or yourself a lot, you know, more focused on anti-racism work, um, especially for, you know, promoting racial justice for the Black community in soccer. Obviously, I think 2020 and 2021 have revealed a lot of deficiencies in the American soccer landscape the North American soccer landscape specifically. Um, So we really are just trying to provide a space for like-minded organizations and individuals to really try and do the work that so many people have been preaching, but not really actually doing. Um, And we also have a research component that goes into it. So once people are a part of our coalition, there's actual research and data going behind the work that they're doing with respect to the effect that their anti-racism work is having on the club and the community. And we're also going to be rolling out some education, which is going to be super cool, centered around the 10-point plan. Um, So a lot of things in the work, it's been a long time coming, and we're just now starting to like announce clubs that are involved in the coalition. Um, But it's been really cool to see it start from some idea and then come to what it is now. Um, I'm really proud of it. And I hope that it makes even a small impact on the soccer space um, because this work is super important. No, I think that, I think it's so amazing like what you guys are doing and it, like you said, like there's so many people who are like, we're doing this and then like literally see nothing to prove that they're actually doing those things. And you're doing a lot of talking, but like, where's the, where's the work? And so I think that it's so awesome that you guys are kind of creating that space to be like, this is how you do the work guys, because 
some people are not enlightened to the fact that it's simpler than they think it is. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's sort of the purpose is like a lot of questions that I, I know I personally got in 2020 and 2021, I was like, what can I do? What can I do? And so I think we really were like, you know what, let's just make it really, really easy. Like we know people want to do this work, but might not know where to start. So I think we created a framework that lays it out pretty simply and um, oh, in a way that's easy to execute. And yeah, we, we really just want people to be held accountable for the ways or for the promises that they're making with respect to anti-racism. So this is our attempt to do just that. Yeah, I think that, I know I already said it, but I feel like I need to explain my vocabulary because I very, I say a lot on the show. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And I feel like I need like better words, but I really do think that what you guys are doing is really incredible and everyone should go follow them and on Instagram, Twitter, I don't know. Yeah, um, the handles, they're different. One is ARSC Coalition and one is Anti-Racist SC. I don't know which is which. I don't do the socials. <laughs> so. And so on top of all of those things, I mean, you 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 do a lot of other stuff too. Like last year, was it last year? 2020, 20, I think. Oh my God, that was two years ago, technically. <laughs> Anyways, you did the um, Black Book Club. Oh, yeah. And I remember that that was really cool. Um, I loved reading those books that you recommended. I still like have, I still read some of them every once in a while because like, hey, just just need a, need to read, not for like fun for a little bit. And I think that you did a really great job with that. And that was awesome. So is that something that you would ever bring back, do again? Uh, yeah, no, honestly, the only reason I stopped is because I got so busy and I was like processing a lot of trauma. And so it got hard for me to keep up with it. But yeah, no, that was also like a consequence of me trying to heal in a lot of ways. I think I was coming to terms with the events of 2020 with the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Matt Arbery. So I just wanted a space where I could explore some of my feelings and talk it out with people. And if that meant, you know, enlightening some others to some of the black experience and that was just another benefit of it um but yeah I really loved that safe space that I created and the safe space that was nurtured through black book club and you know <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's gonna come back just because I know I'm gonna be um swamped with a lot yeah. of reading and law school so I've heard but um I think the idea is definitely something that could easily be replicated and I'd be happy to pass the reins to somebody else if they wanted to to run it. No, I that we I think we read the one book like the cooking gene and it was all about like southern food culture and I literally wrote um a paper about that in English like this like last semester where we had to like analyze like what they were saying and compare it to like all this I literally wrote like a 10 page paper all about it because I was just like I need to read this again it was like I don't so know. It was, it was. And I'm like, I don't know. I think food is like such a fascinating way that like to connect people. And so like reading that and looking how food's connected my life and just like everything. I, I love that one. <laughs> Literally say the cooking gene by Michael W. Twitty. I think. Yeah. Um, amazing book. I know when I, when I, I, I watched, I don't know if you watch um, Taste the Nation on who. I, I watched it before. Yeah. So the episode that has the Golgichi people, um, that's where I, I saw him and he was talking about it. And so I looked him up and I was like, oh my God, he has a book. 
like I want to read that book because I loved that episode um so yeah no I I I low-key forgot about that book club but it did mean so much to me at the time so it's it's funny that you brought it up Another one that we read was Hood Feminism, and I still have that. It's like on top of my book stack because I don't think I ever finished reading it just because I had to read it in like small bits just because it's like so much information. I was like, I need, to, I need to process that. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to finish that. Like I'm determined to finish that this year. And so I was looking at those things and I was like, wow, that was a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I look for books have always been a way for me to escape. Um, yeah. Like I was a big book reader when I was a kid, especially like through my parents' divorce and all that stuff. So it was nice for me to, it felt like I was going back to some of my um, inner child behaviors. And I think it did a lot of help for me in processing a lot of what I was going through. So thanks to everybody who was a part of that. It was very, very helpful to me. <laughs> so on top of all of those things you've mentioned, once or twice law school so you're applying to law school and you said that that process was different than you know go applying to UCLA and doing soccer stuff there so obviously what has the process been like for you overall but also what what necessarily like are you hoping to do with your future law degree that you're going to get like is it working in sports is it something else like yeah uh the million dollar question yeah so the law school application process has been interesting. I decided I was going to go to law school um, sort of right after George Floyd was murdered. I had interest in it. I had interest going back into college. I was a STEM major at first, and then I ended up switching my major to political science when I was a junior, going into my junior year. So switched sort of last minute. Um, was just really interested in political science and figured out that that was sort of my passion, especially after my activism in college. Um, so there, I, there was always sort of like in the back of my head, like I thought it was something that I might do, but I hadn't really um, thought about it. My ex-boyfriend, actually, his parents were both like, both had law degrees. And so I would talk to them a little bit about it. And the, the more I thought about it, the warmer I got to the idea. But then obviously I went to go play professional and I was going to try that for a few years, and I knew it wasn't my end goal to be a professional soccer player, but um, I thought it would be a good sort of filler career as I sort of figured out my direction a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and then George Floyd was killed, and I was like, you know what, I think I want to do this, so I remember I asked my dad to buy me, like, an LSAT prep book. Um, I didn't know where to start, but I didn't end up touching it until I got to Germany, because I was obviously going through a lot at the time um, with COVID and everything that happened at my old club. So I hadn't touched it. But then when I got to Germany, and I was really isolated and alone, and, um, you know, lockdown was happening, and I was spending like, probably 23 hours out of the day inside, I started studying using that book. And the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to do it. And so I ended up coming home from Germany early, like contract. I ended it early. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Came back. And then I asked for these LSAT prep books for Christmas, got them. And then from January to June, I studied my little ass off um, to do my LSAT. And it honestly, school has also been one of 
the ways that I think I've gotten through a lot of trauma in my life. I was one of those like weird gate kids or like the the kids that go to the accelerated learning programs. I was on math team. Not a lot of people know that. I used to be able to solve a Rubik's cube in under sixty seconds for my math team. Oh my um, god! So I, I don't think I've ever I solved a Rubik's cube. <laughs> Fun fact about me: I don't think I can do it anymore. But um, yeah, I I just kind of embraced studying. So and it it really did help me process a lot. Just having some structure that I could. Um, go to and I could read and I could organize like those are all very much things that make me feel safe so studying for the LSAT and like learning about the application process was again like something that I did to heal through a lot of last year and then ended up taking the LSAT in June 2021 got my gold score on my first try which was really cool because I was sort of over the test that's awesome yeah and then started writing all my um, application materials. Uh, you have to have like a personal statement. I had a diversity statement for most schools, had to get letters of rec, which was like difficult because I didn't really have a lot of relationships with professors in college. Um, and then, you know, gathered my materials and I submitted in October to 12 schools. And so far I've heard back from eight, I've gone into all eight. Um, still waiting on the IVs. <laughs> I'm waiting on the top four schools right now, so who knows if I'll get in, but it's been a really blessed cycle, and I'm really grateful to have gone into where I've gone into and received the scholarships that I have thus far, and I think I'm at the point where I have no idea where I want to go, but I know wherever I choose, it's going to be the right fit for me, and it's really hard to pick wrong after getting into such great schools, so yeah, that's you too. You tweeted about a Twitter poll to decide oh. where to go. And I was like, oh, it's like, I feel that. I was like, I can't decide anything. I, every time I have like a minor, like minor or major decision about literally anything, I'm like, Twitter, someone help yeah. me. I mean, people think I'm like kidding a lot of times, but I do make a lot of decisions with like the opinions of people that I've met online. Just oh, because I for sure do that. Like people have helped me so much. Yeah. So, I mean, I do put a lot of stock in what people think because sometimes you have blind spots about yourself. Um, but yeah, and then in terms of what I want to do with a law degree, I, I get this question a lot, and I've gotten this a lot on like interviews and uh, admissions papers. Um, I think the way I see it, like a lot of my activism has been sort of um, not direct action, just sort of like the hypotheticals and examining these sorts of systems of oppression from like a very drawn back angle and I really want to get my feet in the ground now I, I do think I want to go into direct action work I do think I want to go into like policy or impact work um impact litigation so I want to learn about the structures that I am trying to tear down how am I supposed to dismantle them <laughs> if I don't know how they work yeah how they operate and I think that having a law degree and a legal education will just enhance my ability to affect change in a way that I haven't been able to yet. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's awesome that I do have the experience that I do in activism and in that space, but I, I want to be able to apply it more directly and more purposefully and in a more long lasting way, if that makes sense. So that's no, that makes I, sense. Yeah, that's sort of what I plan. Hopefully I end up working for like my dream is to do like, be like a, 
a a lawyer for like the ACLU or some other amazing nonprofit. But yeah, we'll, we will no, see. That's awesome. I'm so excited for you. Like just like watching like on Twitter, like your whole process of being like, I'm going to go to law school and then like applying and getting into all of them. I like every time you post that you got into one of like, go Kaya. I'm so excited for you. No, it's been really, I, I, I feel like I decided a, a little bit ago, like in 2020, I decided that I was just going to be completely transparent with my thought processes and what I was going through. And I think that a lot of that, and so it's been no different with law school being super transparent about everything that's happened. And it's, it's nice to be able to celebrate the joys and the wins with people who have like quite literally been there for me through some of the hardest times of my life. So I love my internet friends. <laughs> now I, I like, I don't know. Everyone's always like, you're always on Twitter. And I'm like, those are my people. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's just, there's just something about like having like that online community who like supports you. And like, they don't know all the other like crazy stuff going on sometimes. Like they're always just like cheering you on. Every time I post a podcast episode and everyone like hypes it up, like, thanks guys. Like, yeah. I don't know, it's just so cool. It's super unique, it's super unique. And I think especially with like the women's soccer Twitter space, like most people are very similarly aligned morally. And, yeah. You know, ethically and um, politically. So it's cool having a space where it truly feels like a safe space most of the time. Obviously there's Twitter trolls. Oh my but, God. Uh, <laughs> I feel like for the most part, Twitter has been like very instrumental in like developing into the person I am today which is interesting to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I th- I feel like Twitter's definitely, it's given me like such great opportunities and friends. Like I probably wouldn't be doing a podcast if not for Twitter and people are like, talk to all the people I have if not for Twitter. And so I think that it is a really awesome space for the most part. Sometimes, sometimes people are a little bit, yeah. But for the most part, I think it's pretty great. So circling back to soccer for like our last question, what do you hope to see? Like, obviously the NWSL has had like a lot of new stuff come out with like the CBA and like stuff for the players and all that kind of stuff. So like kind of, what do you want to see for the future of the NWSL? The NWSL or like the sport in general? Cause I can do both. Sport in general. I, you can do both. <laughs> I would like to see the sport stop being so anti-black and I would like to see, uh, in general like men not being given so many chances to like abuse players yeah in general which I think are are pretty like lofty goals considering how the past year has gotten I feel like they shouldn't be lofty goals but I feel like that's like the bare minimum yeah it should be bare minimum but I recognize that there's like a long way to go with that with the NWSL specifically um I think the CBA has done a lot and it's been incredible to see that process like play out in real time especially going from having none and being a part of league where like there wasn't even an anti-harassment policy to seeing now the protections that players have fought for um it's really cool but I think Obviously, raising the the salary is going to be a big priority, ensuring that abuse doesn't get covered up as consistently as it has, as we've seen in the past 10 years. Um, not hiring white British abusers or just white abusers yeah. in general. <laughs> Literally, the fact that there's so many, like, white British male coaches, I'm just, 
I'm like, where do you find them all? Like, are there literally not other people? Like, we literally, like, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't make I'm, sense. Yeah, I mean, those are, I think, some of the biggest priorities that I have seen just in the past year. I, I, I didn't realize that, like, coming out with my with my story at the spirit would like be such a pandora's box like obviously there's always rumors about things that happen in the women's soccer space but to see just how far reaching this sort of systemic abuse has been has been very very like traumatizing and very eye-opening in a lot of ways I think for a lot of people um so I really hope that that's something that can be remedied very very quickly I don't know all the answers to doing that but I think you know having uh <laughs> mandated reporters and um a lot of mental health support is a good place to start and having some sort of like centralized system for reporting this sort of abuse uh, is going to be paramount in moving forward and hopefully after I mean I'm very very interested to see how um, this U.S. soccer investigation plays out. I participated in it, so I'm hoping that it it comes out with some results that are promising for the sport. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm sort of holding my breath. I, I've, in a lot of ways, I've lost faith in the leaders in the sport to actually do the right thing. And so I think seeing the powers of players in the past um couple months especially has been really awesome just because I think a lot of people realize that those in power are just not going to do the right thing unless they're forced to so yeah I think those are some of my thoughts around that question or that sort of spiraled or no it's all good I think obviously like the CBA had like a lot of really good things but the mental health one about like having like paid time off for mental health was like one of the biggest things that stood out to me because I couldn't imagine like going through all of the stuff that's just happened with just like everything and then having to like keep playing. Traumatized, like having to deal with like that much pressure and strain on your physical body and then also having to deal with the emotional, mental, spiritual toll of like not only dealing with that sort of coaching, but also the traumatizing events of 2020. It was like literally life-changing. Like yeah. I think it impacted me all the way down to my DNA and I'll probably pass it on to my kids, which is sad, but like absolutely traumatizing. (laughs) Yeah. I just like, I don't know. I have a hard enough time like going to class if I'm having a bad mental health day and then you wanted them to like, you guys to like get out there and play an entire soccer game. Like I, so I think that that was one of the things that stood out to me the most. It was like so important because I think that like mental health among athletes is like obviously becoming a lot more talked about but it was like not for like a really long time it's like and people have to just remember that like at the end of the day like you guys are like real people like just like someone on tv and yeah. so I think that that was super important and obviously like raising the salary and all that obviously like the players are doing um like a great job advocating for themselves but it sucks that they have to work like double the amount to do that because yeah. nobody wants to listen like that should not be the case you know, I'm, like I said, I've, I've had sort of a crash course in 
a lot of different areas the past year, uh, labor relations, abuse dynamics, yada, yada, yada. So it's, it's been weird seeing it play out in real time. And I feel like, again, I have been forever changed as a person and a lot, and I would say it's in mostly a positive way, which, you know, you gotta take the good out of the bad. So yeah, for sure. Well, that was the last question. So we're going to do some rapid fire if you're up to that. I hope that I hope that they're good ones they're kind of like generic but I think that it's always fun anyways so okay so what is one sport that you didn't try that you would like to try now oh tennis oh okay what is your must-have travel snack Sprite does that count yeah sure okay (laughs) I love (laughs) what is the your favorite place that you've traveled through soccer what is the most recent show you've been binge watched i just i just finished all five episodes of the new love is blind um drop so (laughs) that and then also i just caught up to dynasty okay probably two weeks which is that's like four seasons oh my gosh what is your go-to coffee order don't drink coffee (laughs) haha Do you drink tea or like what do you get if you're going to like Starbucks or something or do you not Starbucks? I get like a refresher, the uh, strawberry acai refresher or the berry berry hibiscus, whatever. But yeah, Yeah. I don't really do caffeine, which is I just run on adrenaline, I like to say. (laughs) I love that. Um, What is your the best concert you've been to? You're always at like festivals or things. So, Uh, okay, festival is different than concert. Best concert. Music wise, I don't know. <laughs> uh, One Direction Take Me Home tour when I was <laughs> in high school was amazing. Uh, but best festival, I'd say mm, Coachella when I saw Beyonce was a pretty incredible weekend. Like, I just saw so many artists. I went to see like Cardi, I think I saw Ariana Grande, I saw Kygo, Beyonce, Party Favor. Like, oh Jamie gosh. Fox came out. Like, oh, my gosh. It was incredible. I <laughs> It was really cool. Oh, my God. The stuff like that seems so cool. Like, like I don't know. Just being able to see, like, that many cool people at the same time. Like. It was overwhelming. It was, <laughs> ama- it was like, an amazing festival. Okay. And then last one. When are you coming to New Jersey for a Gotham game? Oh, Rusty, <laughs> if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Uh. I don't know. You gotta come this summer. I'm gonna definitely have to come to New York to visit law schools. I I actually like need to take trips to like see if I could see myself living in places. Um, but pending again, tell NYU to give me money and maybe I'll move out there. (laughs) I can't wait for soccer season to start be home I I love my school but like I miss being home like and I can't wait to be back at like Red Bull and seeing like all the besties play all the besties yeah I'm excited that I I'm gonna have local soccer yeah I know that's so exciting I'm moving down to San Diego um at the end of the month so I will be very close to to Wade which will be really fun um especially knowing that I have some friends on the team so yeah I'm super that's so exciting yeah well thank you so much for coming on here I had such a good time talking to you and you always have such great things to say so 
Aw, well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to do this. Yes. Everyone, make sure to follow Kaya on Twitter, especially. Um, but I think your users like Kaya. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tag it when I post this so you guys can all go follow her. But thanks again for coming. Of course. so much for listening to this week's episode of Mickey Mike's Hub. I hope that you learned a lot from Kaya. I hope that you guys all go and listen to Kaya's podcast, Unfiltered, follow the Anti-Racist Soccer Club, and make sure to follow Kaya on all her socials because she is absolutely incredible. And so make sure to just check her out. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Mickey Mike's Up. Follow my other Instagram, Mickey.Alfano. Follow me on Twitter, Mickey underscore Alfano. Make sure to follow this podcast, share it with your friends, give it a rating, um, preferably five stars, but that's up to you. And check back next week for a new episode. Also, check out Women's Sports Exchange, which is a fun blog where we highlight all things women's sports that my friends and I started. And I'm very proud of that project, too. So make sure to check that out. Follow on Instagram and Twitter. I will link all this stuff so that it's easier to find. But thanks again for listening and have a great rest of your week.